Hebrews chapter 4, we've, we've been looking, uh, working our way through uh, this book of Hebrews and we're going to uh, be taking a few weeks to, um, to do that. And um, so I in, uh, invite you to, to uh, join me in uh, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. If you haven't um, been reading along in the uh, book of Hebrews, we invite you to, um, to do that. It is a great uh, book and some great challenges for us as a church, which is why we want to take some time, rather than just working our way through very quickly through this book, um, we want to take our time to, uh, to learn more through the passages and really uh, try to be challenged as a church through that. So I want to challenge you guys to uh, read up through the book of Hebrews, and many of you have been doing that, and some of you have been reading along kind of week by week. Some of you have read through the entire book, uh, and that's uh, wonderful. So I want to challenge you uh, to do that. Hebrews is a, it's a great book. In fact, it's probably the pinnacle book in, um, in the Bible for talking about the majesty, the authority, uh, the knowledge and power, uh, but also the love of God. It, uh, it counters some of the, the Gnostic teachings, which we talked about, that um, uh, it was uh, popular in, in the time, which taught that, that knowledge itself was power and that God was, was distant and spirit and unapproachable. But Hebrews, in Hebrews we see God uh, as... Uh, the power and authority of God in Jesus Christ, that he was born uh, in the flesh, fully God and fully man. He walked with us, he uh, touched us, he ate with us, and showed us God's plan to use all of that power and authority and all, uh, to show us mercy and grace by sending Jesus Christ to die for our sins so that we could have life. And so today we've come to uh, probably one of the most famous verses uh, in all of Hebrews, and that's Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 12. And while we will be considering this passage in the context of the, uh, the book and indeed the, the whole New Testament and the Bible, we want to take time to, to focus uh, on this verse and uh, just a few verses around this morning so we try to make sure uh, we get its true intent. So look with me, if you will, at Hebrews chapter 4, uh, beginning verse 12. Hebrews 4, beginning verse 12, says this, For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than, any sorry, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us pray. God, we thank you and we praise you for the precious gift of your word. And for this opportunity to work our way through it together as your church. We pray, Lord, that your spirit guide us this morning. Speak to our hearts. Challenge us, Lord, individually and as your church family. To trust you, to, to know you, to know of your love and grace, and to be challenged to live that love and grace out in our community. Change us, Lord. Challenge us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to talk this morning to you, first of all, beginning in verse 12, 
where the very familiar passage comes up. It says, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It's a beautiful verse, isn't it? It talks about the power of God's word. And if you look in the uh, preceding verse, in, in verse 12, where it says, therefore we should make every effort to enter into that rest, or we, we've talked about the relationship with God and how that can provide uh, such peace and, and assurance and, and rest for us. And it says, therefore make every effort to enter into that rest, for the word of God is alive and active. And then uh, it talks about its power. Now, we're not sure exactly what the writer of Hebrews meant when he wrote uh, the phrase, the word of God there, because he obviously wasn't talking specifically about uh, what we would call uh, the canon or the Bible, these uh, 66 books which make up our Bible today, uh, because this is part of that. This is written in the New Testament times when uh, not all of that Bible uh, was put together yet. So he may have referred to uh, the Old Testament scriptures, or known as uh, the Jewish Bible, which is our Old Testament, uh, or just the, the writings of the prophets. Similarly, we think he probably uh, was talking about the Gospels, or some have said maybe he's even talking about the mind of God. Now, we're not sure what the writer intended when he said the Word of God is, is living and active, but it would seem, uh, if you look throughout the, the book of Hebrews itself, that um, he not only meant the written Word, as we we're saying, but also the spoken Word of God. Even in the context of the book, we'd say that the Word of God will represent Jesus himself as the living Word, whereas in uh, John 1... We find that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, which is in Jesus Christ. Uh, the Word itself is living and active. Now, if you have an old, uh, say, King James Version or some other versions, it may say in verse 12 that the Word of God is quick and powerful, and um, some say alive and active. The, the Greek word there that was translated quick or alive is best translated actually always living. Uh, it is constantly living. It is alive. It is vibrant uh, and is, is constantly flowing. It's kind of like a, a river which is constantly moving. And the word for, um, for powerful um, or quick and powerful or uh, living and active is actually uh, translated as a source of power. So if you're the battery, then God's word is the recharger. Uh, I guess for the rechargeable batteries, it's a source where you keep coming back to uh, to get energized, and it's that source of strength uh, and assurance and, and power for us as Christians. This goes along with Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. It says, The Word of God uh, will stand forever. In a sense, it is always living. John chapter 6, verse 63 says, The words of Christ are spirit and are life. And so uh, to be quick or to be alive... I mean, it was always awake, always alert, uh, always living, and always active. Unlike some of you this morning. Uh, some of you aren't very alert or awake. Uh, we used to, um, I worked at a, a Christian camp many years ago, and we used to start the kids out before breakfast, and they had to sing a little song uh, that said, I'm alive, alert, awake, enthusiastic. I'm alive, alert, awake, enthusiastic. And then you had to sing, I'm alive, alert, awake, I'm awake, alert, alive, I'm alive, alert, awake, enthusiastic. Okay, so you have to flip it around. Some of you wouldn't survive that song this morning, I think. But the Word of God is always uh, awake. It's always alert. It's always living and ready to go. 
which is annoying for some people, right? Those people who are just always energetic, always ready to go. But the Word of God is always ready and is, is a source for power and strength. We also find this in, in uh, John 1.12 and uh, Philippians 3.21 and Colossians 1.29, all that which say the Word of God is powerful and energetic. Now, what does it mean by it's sharper than any double-edged sword dividing the soul and spirit joints and marrow. It's, it's interesting because, again, the terminology used here for, uh, it, it's sharper than any, well, sorry, the, the term used for dividing uh, soul and spirit or joints and marrow is actually, some would say separating jo- joints and marrow or dividing it. Uh, the actual Greek word used for there actually means to go through, uh, similar how a, a sword might uh, pierce straight through to the heart. Uh, in a sense, uh, God's word cuts to the chase. It's, um, it passes straight through our thoughts and our intentions, the same as a sword might pass through, the sharpest of swords may pass through uh, the bones or marrow. Divides the soul of spirit and judges the intents of our heart. In this word, judges, in the end of verse 12, is the Greek word kritikos, which is where we get critique or critical. But it actually means to critically examine or to strongly consider the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Now this compares to 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, that says God discerns our hearts and our motives. So the Word of God discerns our hearts and our motives. And so it gets right to the heart of us. Underneath the... The mask underneath the facade, underneath our, our Sunday best, God's Word speaks directly to us. Now, I don't know how many of you read the Bible. I hope that all of you do every day. I would love to say, um, who's read the entire Bible this week? And you would all just raise your hands and I say, good for you. Let's do the same again next week. Uh, I'm not going to put you on the spot uh, and, and ask who's I've uh, been reading their Bible this week or who reads it every day. I hope that all of you do. But what I've learned in, in my Christian journey is every time I read God's Word, every time I read the Bible, and, and, and every day as I spend time in God's Word, man, He speaks directly to me. He, he challenges me. In fact, sometimes it's annoying. Sometimes I'm just like, okay, I get it, God. Just back off a little bit. I, I get the point. I know what you're saying here. I don't like what you're saying here, God, but because this is challenging or because, you know, I've had, I've had people who, when I was preaching in America, and I'll be on the way out, and the pastor always stands at the front door and shakes everyone's hand on the way out. And um, I don't know, one guy come up and said, oh, he said, I was, I was dancing a little bit doing that. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, because you kept stepping on my toes with, uh, with what you were preaching on and what the, the, the Word of God preached on it. God knows where we're at on our spiritual journey and he knows what we need he can bring us nourishment he can bring us strength he can re-energize us he can guide us and give us direction he can give us warnings he can give us love and grace god's word speaks directly to us it cuts through any of the fakeness that that can be us if we're all honest there is a fakeness about life in which we tend to put on a, a mask or a face when we're out in public. And there may be 
the you that everyone sees at church and you just go, wow, they're always smiling, they're always happy. And there may be the you that someone saw 10 minutes before you got to church that looked completely different. Uh, sometimes we're afraid to let people know that we're really hurting or that we're really struggling. But you know what? God knows. And He uses His Word. He speaks to us through His Word. This is not just a book which was written thousands of years ago. This is a living and active Word of God and that His Holy Spirit speaks directly to us. And not only does He speak directly to us, but He knows us completely. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says this, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. There's nothing in all creation which was hidden from Him. Everything is completely exposed, naked before Him. There's nothing that is hidden. Some of you may remember in Psalm 139, very familiar passages uh, which say similar things. It says, God knows uh, how many hairs are on our head. God knows us, even when we are still being knitted together in our mother's womb. He knows our thoughts when they're still afar off. He knows our words even before they roll off our tongue. God knows us absolutely completely. Now, this idea in verse 13 is that nothing is hidden from God is the idea that we're standing in front of uh, a perfect mirror where nothing is hidden. Now, I'm not talking about the, the goofy mirrors that you see at amusement parks and things like that where uh, you look you know, short or uh, extra tall or your neck's really long or whatever it is and those that kind of distort things. I'm talking about a true picture of what you look like. The cleanest mirror has just been shined. It's just been uh, cleaned off. There's plenty of light there. You can see exactly who you really are, what you really look like. That's intimidating for some people, isn't it? Now, I get in trouble every once in a while because I, I never look in the mirror. So I have no idea if there's you know something on my face or one of my hair, few hairs is out of place or whatever. I don't know uh, because I get up in the morning and get my shower and get dressed and leave. I never look in the mirror. Um, so it doesn't bother me at all that there's, like, there's not a mirror in our bedroom. It doesn't bother me any. I wouldn't use it anyway. Um, but for my wife, that's a, a big struggle sometimes because you know, she, she likes to, to look neat, and, uh, which is wonderful. But I've found that sometimes, now I'm sure none of you would do this, but I have heard that there are people who actually try to hide their appearance uh, by the clothing choice that they, they pick. Now, I'm sure none of you would do that, but I've been told that, um, it's not why I'm wearing this today, but I've been told that, that black can hide if you're, um, you know, maybe if you're gaining a little weight, it helps you look a little slimmer. Um, and so uh, they say black is good for that. Sometimes people wear baggy clothes because they think it might cover up some things. You know, and, and apparently it works. Apparently, I don't know these things, but apparently there is some sort of magic in, in the clothing choices. Now, again, I don't really care what I wear, so I just kind of pick whatever is clean and, and put it on. And uh, I remember when, uh, as those of you who know, we went on a holiday uh, last year to America, and I came back from a few weeks away, and um, one person said to me, wow, said, you're looking really good. Like, apparently you, you've lost some weight over the holiday. And I thought, oh, good. Well, the next day, I came back to church, and someone told me, well, it looks like you had a lot of fun over the holiday. You've obviously put on a lot of weight. <laughs> and so I just tried to remember what I was wearing on that first day, and I've got to go back to that. But I don't pay attention to stuff. 
we try to hide from one another what, what is the real me. What, what do I really look like? But jokingly, we can say we, we do it with our appearance, but we also do that with our heart. But there, there's, no, there's no hiding. There's no hiding what we look like with God. He sees and knows the real you. He sees and knows the real me. And so in the immediate context here, we were talking last week about those who, who question their faith or they're kind of on a slippery slope of not really following God and so they're not entering that rest that God has for His children. They need to be intentional about seeking God's rest because the Word of God sees who is real and who is not. There's no pretending with God. You could put on a, a mask or facade here at church and people could think you are the best Christian that's, uh, that's ever come out. But God knows your heart. He sees and knows everything. Look at this. He not only speaks to us and He knows us, but He represents us. Christ represents us before His Father, the ultimate judge. Look at verse 14 and 15. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. The one who completely knows us represents us. Now I mentioned before in the weeks past, I don't know a whole lot about the law, but I, I do know that you don't want someone standing in court trying to represent you who doesn't know you, or they're at least not really familiar with your case and your story. Because you don't want, uh, when the, uh, the prosecutor or whoever, if the other attorney uh, asks a question, and your attorney goes, oh, I don't, that's news to me. I didn't, I didn't know that. Is that true? And then kind of looks back to you and asks the question. You want someone who knows your case and is able to, to fully, they, they believe in you. They know you. They know your story. They believe in you, and they're just going to represent that as if it happened to them. Well, Jesus Christ knows us absolutely completely. There's nothing fake. He's already seen through all those masks. He's seen through the facade. He knows us completely, and He represents us before God. It says, since Jesus is the one representing us, let us hold unswervingly to the faith in Him. Let us trust in Him completely. Jesus, the Son of God, is the one representing us before God. And so, relax. Because He's the one representing us. He knows His stuff. He is perfect without sin, and yet He's been tempted like us in every way. He walked as a man. He hungered as a man. He went through all of the same sort of struggles that we do. was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. He is the perfect one to represent our case before God. This is God but with some life experience in a way. God, who's not distant, who's not just spirit, he's not ethereal, but God who's flesh and blood, sweat and tears, feeling and experiencing the joys and the challenges of life. This is the one. This is the God who's representing us. And so we can hold firmly to our faith or hold unswervingly, some translations would say, to the inner faith. We can trust him absolutely, completely because he speaks to us, he knows us, and He represents us. 
And then look with me in verse 16. This is good stuff. It says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us approach the grace of the throne of God with confidence. Let us approach God's throne with every confidence, with security, with unshakable assurance. Now, I like this verse because if you think of the, the context of the early church, you think of the, the historical context in which Hebrews was written in, people didn't approach the throne of a king with confidence because kings were considered like gods. Whatever they said happened. Some of you would like a turn as a king, wouldn't you? You just speak and it happens. I say, clean the dishes. Dishes are done. I say, drive me here. It's done. Whatever you want. You wish. But in, in all honesty, in, in the time of the early church, when the king spoke, if he didn't like what you had to say, you could be killed. Your family could be killed. There was great danger in, in going to the, th- the king for anything. And so if the king wanted to see you, he thought, oh, goodness, what have I done? What, what's going to happen? Now, I remember when I was growing up and going to school, sometimes I was a really good kid. I say most of the time. I like to think I was a good kid. My teachers sometimes didn't think I was as good of a kid as I did. And I sometimes got in trouble with my, my teachers. And uh, the teachers in, in my day uh, had a, a paddle. And so... Uh, now, we didn't get uh, smacked on the hand. We got a smack on the bottom with a big wooden paddle uh, by the teacher. And I used to be told that uh, if, if that didn't work, you'd get sent to the, the principal who had an electric paddle. Now, he didn't have an electric paddle. We, were always, we didn't know that. And we were always... I only know that he didn't have an electric paddle because I was sent there a few times uh, to get the paddle from the, the principal as well. But there were times when I was called into principal's office and because... I was probably in trouble at times a bit more than I should have been. Even when I got called to principal for a good thing, I was always going to the back of my mind. Hold on. I'd get a note saying I need to go see the principal, and the whole way down to the principal's office, I'm just going, oh my goodness, what have I done? Or how did they possibly know about that? Or whatever. All these things are going through my mind, thinking, what am I getting in trouble for this time? Because in a small town, it'd probably be the same on the coast, but in a small town, everybody knows everybody. The principal was good friends with my dad. All my teachers were good friends with my parents. And if I got a paddle at, at school, I got punished at home as well. And my mom would always say on the way home, you just wait till your dad gets home. Those, those words just strike fear in the heart of any child. right? Well, I was that way walking in the principal's office. I didn't know what I was being called for. I didn't know if it was going to be good or bad. And so you, you approach that throne of sort of power with, with fear and trepidation. Now, you would think that God who, Hebrews says, this God is more powerful than any king and any ruler. This God is the creator of the entire universe. The God with all power and all authority. And then says, because he knows you, and because Christ Jesus is representing you, you can approach the throne of God's grace with confidence. Now I love this. It says, it doesn't say you can uh, approach the throne of God's power and authority and majesty, it says you can approach the throne of God's grace. Because what, what does God want to offer to us? It says in verse 16, after knowing us completely, 
and convicting us through His Spirit and His Word of our sin and our wrongdoing. Verse 16 says that we might find mercy and grace to help us in our times of need. Isn't that beautiful? The God with all the power, and yet the one who knows us completely, nothing is hidden from Him. He sees all that stuff that you want nobody else to know about. He knows you completely. And yet what does He want to do? He wants to give you grace. He wants to give you mercy and strength. He wants to continue empowering you and strengthening you and energizing you with His Word. He wants to continue to guide you and to lead you in love and grace and mercy that He might give you help in your time of need. We serve a God who is over all. He knows us completely. And yet He loves us unconditionally. That is amazing, amazing grace, amazing love. And that God wants to use His Word to pick us up, to get us back on the right path, to show us not condemnation and judgment. We deserve that, but Christ took all that on Himself and the cross. He paid the price for our sin. He paid the price for our wrong. God wants to give to us grace and mercy. He wants to pick us back up and put us back on the right path. Lead us in His way. I want to challenge you guys. Read God's Word every day. It guides us. It leads us. Psalmist says, Your Word, God, is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It gives us direction. God corrects us. He convicts us, yes, but He leads us in grace and mercy. We can approach His throne with confidence, with assurance, with unshakable strength, knowing that we are in His hands. We can trust in His love, His grace, and His mercy. Let me just pray for us. Dear Heavenly God, I thank You and I praise You for Your power and authority, that You are the God of all ages, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are God with with more power and authority than than any king or any political party or any governing body that's ever existed. And yet you know us completely. Every part of our heart, every thought in our mind, every action with our life, you know us. And yet you represent us with assurance that we are in your hands. Because you sent Jesus to pay the price for our sin, for that wrong. You've already forgiven us. You've already wiped that slate clean and you want to lead us in grace and mercy. Lord, help us to approach your throne with confidence, to come to you every day, to spend time with you, sharing our life with you, the joys and the challenges, the triumphs and the mistakes. And Lord, may we know that in you we find the power to lead us, we find the strength to comfort us, and to shelter us, but we also find grace and mercy to pick us back up, to lead us in your way of righteousness. God, help us to give you praise for who you are, to share your love and grace in every part of our lives, to lift you up that others might come to know you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.